0: For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has
1: carried
0: us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at GenesisCove.org. Enjoy the teaching.
1: Okay, today's scripture reading is from the 11th chapter of Acts. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven being lowered by its four corners and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.' But I replied, "'By no means, Lord, "'for nothing profaner and clean has ever entered my mouth.' But a second time the voice answered from heaven, "'What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying send to joppa and bring simon who is called peter he will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved and as i began to speak the holy spirit fell upon them just as it just as it had upon us at the beginning and i remembered the word of the lord how he had said john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord.
0: Excellent job. Everybody. My name's Steve, and I am so excited to be here. Uh, Aaron has been a friend for I don't know, 15 years maybe or so. He's a mentor of mine uh, in the in the area of boots, Uh, and so I I I mean I and I want to give him all credit uh, for for that loveliness. Uh, Aaron's at West today, and he's preaching, and we are we everyone is thrilled to have him there, Um, and. Uh, and I love this new place. I love it. It is so good—the stained glass, the that area over there. Does anyone sort of take some time to light a candle and pray at times? Yeah, during the Eucharist maybe, or afterwards. Whew. So um, I don't know if you actually listen to the words that are being read when the scripture is read. Sometimes like a fog hits me and it's like, wah, 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 wah. Um, But anyone that was listening, give me just a one sentence summary of what's happening in this scripture portion. And don't worry about it getting right or wrong. You're gonna be right on the money, uh, at least as right on the money as you can be. Mind-blowing change, Lisa, thank you so much. What kind of mind-blowing change is happening? We are all one, thanks, Vera. Relationship with God has been extended to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. No distinction between them and us. You guys are listening, Tim. The good news is for everyone Some of the old law went away with the food restrictions. When we say the law, that means like in the Hebrew Bible, here were the commandments. You are not to eat this, but all of a sudden Peter, who is the head of the church, (laughs) falls into a... So like imagine that starts your testimony hour in the church that you grew up in so anyway i was praying and then i fell into a trance uh you know that probably wouldn't have worked in the church that i grew up in trances weren't generally seen as positive things (laughs) nor did anyone ever talk about them so uh we're in this series called beyond sunday exploring resurrection as a way of life asking this question, what does it mean to be resurrection people? And how is God inviting us into new life and new beginnings? So today we're gonna talk about when God invites you to let a certain way of believing die so that it can be resurrected as something bigger. That's what the portion is talking about today. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I think it's, you know, the danger in reading the Bible is that you can read something mind-blowing like what we just read and go, huh, yeah, wasn't that great that that happened back then? Mind-blowing change. Um, And we don't really allow it to threaten us (laughs) the way that it probably should. And I say threaten intentionally, not to be afraid, but to sort of allow it to rattle our cages a little bit. So, um, gosh, 1994, I was working at Camp Shamana. Anyone ever been there? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, it was my third summer working there. And I was sitting in the staff office. Um, I was in charge of all the counselors. So I was in charge of helping them, you know, solve problems with their campers and, um, and all kinds of other stuff. And then this, this young woman walks in uh, and I was like, who is that? And I introduced myself. Her name was Mary. And she was very like, hi, I'm Mary. Um, I later found out she hated all males at that time in her life Uh, Understandably so. And she had heard about me and wanted nothing to do with me. Um, But man, I was like, So I tried really hard to get to know her. And she was very standoffish. And um, I found out that she was a runner. And I was an athlete, but not a runner. So um, she asked uh, her friend Chris, who's this tall guy who stayed in the same dorm area as I did, to run with her in the mornings, right? Because you worked all day long and so you had to wake up early to run. And so I was like, okay. So I noticed, I would sort of get up and I would notice Chris was not getting up early to run. He was like in the shower when he would be running. And so I came up to Mary and said like, so how's, how's running going with Chris? You know, she's like, oh, he's not waking up. I'm like, well, I mean, I I run kind of a little bit. Like we could run together. Um, I'm I'm trying anything, right, to get to know this woman. And so we start running together in the mornings and we start talking. And I find out that she, uh, she went to Bethel And during, at Bethel, she had a major faith uh, crisis where she left it all except for the tiniest little thing. She said, I'm not gonna say I believe in anything I don't really believe in. So she cleared it all out and she had just this little dice-sized something. Uh, To this day, I don't even know what that dice-sized something was. It was a cube of belief. But part of what she was really rebelling against is this idea that she grew up in, in the church that men, and only men were the leaders of the church and of the marriage, right? And so we're running, and she's telling me about her deconstruction of her faith. And I had grown up in the church, but had never bought into it until I was about 21. And then I was fully in, and I was like volunteering in the church, and I went to grad school, and all I had ever known was men were the leaders of the church, men were the leaders of the family. So this question comes up, and we're running. She goes, well, what do you think, you know? And I said something like, I think the Bible's pretty clear about, you know, what it says. And, but I, I wasn't feeling like super adamant about it. I just, that's all I knew. And I mean, she just, question after question after question, about, well, have you ever experienced a woman who might be a leader in your life? Like any professor, any boss that that you respected? Well, sure, yeah. Um, Have you ever heard a woman speak? I had to think about that one because I really didn't pay attention in church for 21 years and then I really did. And then there was this, there was at this church that I was going to in Chicago, there was women who preached. I'm like, well, yeah. And she said, well, were they Were they good? Were they effective? Did they help you grow closer to God? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I think. And so we began this journey of really wrestling it down and I ended up changing my mind about what I thought the Bible taught about women in marriage and women in the church. And I changed my mind about 25 years ago um, and it took a lot of conversation and it at first felt threatening because it was like, wait a minute. If I start believing that women can preach and lead in the church, and that in the marriage, women and men are meant to be co-equal, because the argument that I was always given was, well, what if there's, what if you can't decide? What if there's something so big and you can't, someone's gotta be the tiebreaker vote? I was like, well, that makes sense to me. And because I was a male, I mean, it really made sense that I would be the tie breaking vote versus a simple follow up question why don't you just talk more? <laughs> right? And so I was like, oh. And so, anyway, so we, I ended up marrying this woman. Uh, and we've been married for 23 years. And um, I am so grateful uh, for her for so many reasons, but she was the first person who helped me make a big change in belief. And I'm so grateful that she hung with me (laughs) with my arguments and sort of questions. Um, And so I want to dive into just, I want to use the scripture portion to look at what happens in you when you're faced with having an invitation, where a certain way of believing gets challenged and then maybe you change your mind on it. Um, So um, what is the process you go through when you change your mind? So ego versus soul, right? Let's get just for two seconds here a little psychological, theological. There's a part of you that, let's call it the ego, you could also call it the false self, you could call it the construct of yourself that you create in order to make yourself safe. As a kid and growing up, you need this self. Um, It's protective, it's helpful um, because it, it addresses new situations, your ego self, and it categorizes them as safe or dangerous, good or bad. False or true, this is really a good part of your psychological development, especially as a kid. You have to have it, you need it. Because otherwise you, you wouldn't, you know, you would be, just be gullible to any uh, person that might take you somewhere you don't want to go. And, um, but this is dualistic thinking. It's, it's, there's two sides of every coin and it's when one side is good, one side is bad, one side is right, one side is wrong. Um, but it can only take you so far. Right? And you need dualism if you want to get from here to Genesis West and I give you directions because right is right and left is left Left is left and right is right uh, and, and that, so that, that, that's helpful. But when you're in conversations with a woman who's asking you questions like, have you ever experienced a woman lead you and was it good? Your ego self, all play question, does what? Okay, so the prehistoric, our prehistoric ancestors, when they went by a raspberry bush and tasted it and it was good, something lodged in their brain that that raspberry bush was safe. So their prefrontal cortex over centuries and millennia learned that raspberry bushes are safe to eat, taste good, we can eat them. But when you go by this den (laughs) and you see three people get eaten by a lion, the next time you go by that den, your prefrontal cortex is going to say what? Danger! Stay away. And the way our brain works is that you don't even need to be a person eventually who sees a lion come out. You just go by that den and all of a sudden you're filled with fear. Okay? Be the 23-year-old man who's only ever interpreted the Bible as saying that men were leaders, women weren't, suddenly someone says, well, have you ever experienced a woman leader? And your honest answer is yes. What is your ego's response? Danger, <laughs> this is dangerous. And I need to either keep asking questions or find a way to demonize the person that I'm talking with. They're, they're wrong and I'm right. And just as an aside, let me sit down for this one. When you look in the Bible, you can almost always find proof for what you believe. True, true story. If you pull out a verse or even three or four verses and you want to use it as a way of saying, this is proof that I'm on the right side, the Bible is big enough that you'll always be able to do that. But the truth also is that the person that you're talking to who disagrees with you 100% can also <laughs> pull verses out of the Bible and say, this is why I'm right and you're wrong. So what do we do with that, right? Well, the soul, as contrasted with the ego, is who you are in God and who God is in you. If the ego's job is to define things and categorize things, a safe or dangerous, black or white, good or bad, the soul's job is to see what is as it really is and let it teach you. Oh, well, that's interesting. I don't have to agree with it or disagree with it yet. I just need to ask the question, what is this here for? And what might it teach me? The soul is never offended, it's never afraid, and it's never reactionary. Because it's that place that's the truest you. It's that place that Paul writes about that's hidden in Christ. And it doesn't, it just doesn't need to be threatened in order to feel good about itself. It doesn't need to be right in order to feel secure about itself. Is that making sense? So the ego, if you, if you stay on the ego side, you're always gonna need to have the other person be wrong in order to feel good about yourself being right. That's as far as the ego can go. Again, it's so good. It protects you from the cave <laughs> and it tells you that the raspberry is safe to eat, but it'll never help you expand your way of thinking. Um, and it's so easy for us to look back at things that we've changed our mind on and gone, well, yeah, well, that makes total sense. And it's so difficult to look forward to things that we haven't yet changed our mind on that feel dangerous. And we go, (sighs) any Hafiz fans in the room uh, wrote this however many years ago, God is trying to sell you something, but you don't want to buy. This is what your suffering is your fantastic haggling and your manic screaming over the price. God wants you and me to expand into the infinite love that is God. And the only <laughs> way that we'll do that is by noticing. The soul is the thing that can observe the ego and go, okay, Stand down, (laughs) sir, thank you for doing your job. Um, So one of my core convictions in life is God is mystery, but mystery isn't, this is Richard Rohr, mystery isn't unknowable, it's endlessly knowable. So we all agree God is infinite, most of us anyway, but then we also sort of get over here and we say, but I think I've pretty much figured it all out by age 22, especially at age 22. <laughs> well, you know, 22, man, you are certain. But I've met, I'm 48. I've met plenty of 48-year-olds that feel pretty certain too. So let's go to the portion, the scripture portion quick. And so God invites Peter's belief to die. And so Peter gets hungry while praying on a rooftop and, he, <laughs> and while he's waiting for food, he falls into a trance. I just love that. And there's no like good explanation for that. like the, the, the Greek doesn't say, "Oh, he was you know praying fervently. It, it's a, some sort of funky psychedelic trance that he falls into. Um, and uh, he hears a voice, so let me read it again. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and Peter let's see Peter said. Uh, step by step, verse four. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners and it came close to me and as I looked at it closely, I saw four footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air, all of which are unclean. And then he heard a voice, we don't know what the voice is yet, a voice saying, get up Peter, kill and eat. But I replied by no means, Lord. Lord. He assumes it's the Lord that's talking to him. I think he assumes correctly. For nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Who's talking right now? The ego is talking. And the ego is taken him this far. It's pretty far. The ego is taken him a long way. I have never done this. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times that everything was pulled up again to heaven. So Peter's in a moment right now where he can either say, that was some crazy mushroom I ate, or this is an invitation to change. Now, what I love also is that simultaneously there's something else happening. So uh, this something else is happening is starts in verse 11. At this very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us because they were Gentiles. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. The man's name was Cornelius. You can read about that in the previous chapter. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. So like, Just as Peter was getting this message through a trance, this centurion named um, Cornelius was getting a similar kind of message, and they both listened to it, which would have never happened on Twitter. (laughs) Ever. By the way, like if you, if someone wanted to design, a way for people to get stuck in ego. Uh, There there could be no better invention than social media. Just, and I'm on it, I'm in it, but just put that away, that was free. (laughs) And then, so Peter listens, these guys listen, they come together, they have food together, they eat together, which you weren't supposed to do. And then, um, Peter began to speak and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, these Gentiles, just that had it upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, um, who was I that I could hinder God? So I think this is this beautiful thing is like, Jesus had said something to him years ago that he didn't understand. John baptized with water, I baptized with the spirit. And at that moment, all the guys were like, yes, gosh, that's good. They tweet it. But it wasn't until he experienced it that he understood it. And that's part of changing your mind is that you need a personal experience that rattles your cage. I, I don't know anyone who, well, I shouldn't say that. That's very definitive. I know very few people who change their mind on something big without an experience of some other person who says, I don't even know how it happened, but here I am. And so Peter says the gospel is not for Gentiles but something happened, which challenged my whole construction. And I had to either reject it or accept it. And it was radical, Lisa's right. It was totally mind-blowing, this idea that the gospel is for the Gentiles. And now that sounds crazy for us, right? But back then, whew, uh, and so Peter just said, well, who am I to hinder what God is doing? And that's a fantastic question, isn't it? Who am I to hinder what God is doing? We typically, I better sit down for this one too. Christians typically want to say, it is my job to hinder something that feels dangerous before we even investigate if it's from God. Now it might not be from God, not everything is, but what if it is? Now, how does this whole scripture portion begin? Because I just went through the whole story with Peter. He explained it step by step. But why does he explain it step by step? He's being confronted by his compatriots who say, now the apostles and believers who are in Judea, good people, not bad people, uh, heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? So um, because I'm out of time, um, I, I want to I give sort of a framework um, in two minutes for what you can do when your ego feels rattled. And when it's like, oh, and you're, you're maybe tempted to disregard it because it couldn't possibly be true. Um, Acts eleven three, these guys ask a question. So notice your reaction. There it is, big, small, but it's probably fear. You're near the cave. And instead of demonizing, ask the question. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them. Now you can see that as like criticism, maybe it is, but Peter goes into the whole story step by step. So I'm gonna argue or invite that a good question, a good open-ended question, not meant to trap, but meant to really inquire, is the way that you can move at least one step out of ego and into soul. Notice your reaction, don't judge it, but ask the question. And then secondly, Peter spends how many verses? Like 11, 12, 13 verses explaining what happened step by step. Listen to the person's experience. Listen, I didn't want to believe it. I fell into a trance. Some guys came to me. I ate with them. The Holy Spirit fell on them. I don't know how that's supposed to happen but it happened. So listen, you might have to ask a bunch of different questions like I did with Mary. It might take, you know, years. But then the third movement is acts 1118. When they heard this, they were silenced and they praised God, saying, Well, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. That word silenced is he suhadzo, and it means to rest or hold one's peace. There comes a point where you and I need to be open to a new thing that God is doing and to be silent. Ask your questions, ask as many questions as is possible. Don't trap, don't demonize. But at some point, even if you, oh, I haven't gotten there yet, I'm gonna stop arguing and start really considering that I, by doing more arguing, am hindering the work that God has to do. So is that hard to do, to change your mind on something big? Yes, but if we look at the Bible, the Bible is filled with that. That's the arc, that's the progression. (laughs) The ongoing progression of God is, I will be who I will be, that's God's name, which means I will continually unfold for humanity to understand me more and more. And the question is, will we go there? Amen, amen. Well, we're gonna enter into 60 seconds of silence, um, after which time we'll do the prayers of response together. Uh, So this is a moment um, just to, don't think real hard. (laughs) Just breathe in, breathe out, and be silent. And let God speak if God wants to, um, but um, be at ease with this silence. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.